0: seated, please pick up your copy of the scripture, whether it's by paper or your phone, and turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. In turning there, we are doing a series in the month of June and July that pertains to church. And for the rest of the summer, in the month of August, going through the Sunday that wraps on Labor Day, our elders will be preaching a series on Christ in the Psalms. Of course, if you're around us for any length of time, you know that we believe that all of Scripture is about Christ and points us to Jesus. I do want to say one more thing before we jump into the text in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, This morning we'll be looking at the first seven verses. I am thankful for our time uh, to hear the confession and pardon. To be clear, church, you know this. One steps into life with God in repentant faith. That is, they come to a portion sometime in their life where the light goes on, where the truth of the gospel is revealed to them and their need for forgiveness of sin. In that, God's working, of course, through the work of the Holy Spirit pointing them to Jesus they repent. They repent because they need to be forgiven and then by faith in Jesus alone they they trust in Christ. That is certainly what we just witnessed. That is a one-time act in the sense that it has gained us favor with God because we are resting on Jesus' life, death, and resurrection for the forgiveness of sin. But because God has saved us, and because in this life we do stumble into sin, and even for those of us at times have stumbled into egregious sin, repentance and belief in the gospel continue. They're always ongoing. For the child of God who has been born of God, they couldn't stop it. That's a reality of being a Christian. So we do so every week, not in need of salvation, but because of our salvation. Because we know we want to walk in that newness of life that we just experienced for these four people this morning. Now let's look at our text here. This morning we'll be looking at elders. The scripture says this, reading from the first seven verses of 1 Timothy chapter 3. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, he must manage his own household well and with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by, a, of, by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace and into the snare of of the devil. Let's bow our heads together. Father, now we're thankful for this morning, the Lord's Day, the day we have come collected, as the church does in local, smaller societies, local churches, local gatherings, local assemblies that the New Testament calls the church. We pray you would bless your church around the globe as Christ is honored preached and exalted we pray lord this morning that the church will be built our church will be built and lord that you will use us this light here in sterling heights for the gospel and for the sake of your son the lord jesus we pray for these things in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This series has uh, brought us to this point this morning. We're going to be looking at elders and elder rule. Elder rule is the church government that Christ Community Church holds to. So far in this series, we have looked at the preaching of the word, We have looked at the sacraments, both of which we'll experience today, as we've already mentioned, in both baptism and the Lord's Supper, and last week we looked at church membership, today of course is elder rule. All of the redeemed of all of the ages, we were all collectively redeemed by Christ, this is clear from Ephesians chapter 1. And when we think of the church, we use, typically don't think of the church from the Old Testament, but certainly, as we explained last, last week, that the church, the assembly, the gathering of God's ple- people came together, of course, in the Old Testament. So when you hear the word assembly, when you hear the word uh, congregation when you hear of the word church they're really speaking about the same thing and I like the way Graham Goldsworthy puts this God's people in God's place coming under God's blessing and rule I think that's very helpful again Graham Goldsworthy said this God's people in God's place under God's blessing and rule and we really see that of course in the Old Testament when it looks at time from the fall of Adam to the time we get to Abraham as if the promise could be done away with God of course survives his word as he promises because God, who cannot lie, promised redemption before the world began. And when it was hinging upon even man himself through Adam and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, in all the chaos that you read about in the book of Genesis, we know that ultimately that from a family, Abraham's family, a nation was birthed, just as God promised. And that nation was led under the direction of Moses. It was God's people. This morning from our text, our elder Zach read the text, that even as God gathered his people, he has always wanted his people to be ruled by a multiplicity of leaders. Israel had a multiplicity of leaders The church today is to have a multiplicity of leaders. That phrase and word is, of course, called elder rule. Alexander Strzok writes this, who is really the classic on elder rule. I don't know that I've ever bumped into a circumstance where someone was either preaching about elder rule and elder leadership in government that his name isn't mentioned, And I want to give you this real quick, what he prescribes that are essential before he even dives into the text. He writes this book called Biblical Eldership, which a number of men in the church are moving through, Um, uh, maybe a little slower than we anticipated, but we are nonetheless moving through it and enjoying it, enjoying being built in the faith by that. Elders or eldership rule is to be pastoral. It's to be pastoral in the sense that those who are called by God have a a heart to protect, a heart to nurture, a heart to pursue and, and leadership to give direction. He writes also in this book that leadership is to be shared because leadership is the example, as we'll see this morning in just a few moments, that God has always intended for his people to have a multiplicity of leadership. In the church, that leadership was male or men, because it's only from 1 Timothy chapter 3 in Titus 1 does God describe the criteria for those who are to be pastors and elders. From those two texts, Alexander Strzok writes this, that leadership is to be qualified. There are, there are literally 20 characteristics that are described here in 1 Timothy chapter 3, the first seven verses. And if you were to flip over, we won't now, to Titus chapter 1, verse 5 through 9. Again, Paul gives Timothy, as he gives to Titus, instruction as to what a pastor, an elder, is to look like. And of course, you folks know this, that those are pastoral epistles. As a part of those texts, Paul will even tell Timothy to, as he learns of him, to teach others, multiplicity of men, who will teach others. This is always how things have been with God. This is how God has prescribed his... Church to be led. I want to walk us through a number of texts that are given to us in the book of Acts. So hold your spot in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and turn back with me to the book of Acts and turn to chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. While you're turning there, the book of Acts has been called the Actions of the apostles. It's how God took the gospel in explosion on the day of Pentecost, and he began to spread the gospel across the globe, even as Jesus ascended on the day where he told his his church, that they would be witnesses in Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. And really that's what the book of Acts is. It is the spread of the gospel and it is the establishment of churches. Of course, the early New New Testament church had the apostles themselves who were also elders. But we want to note one important thing before we dive into a number of texts that are given here in Acts. To be an apostle, an apostle had to visibly see Jesus resurrected, okay? That is one thing, but that is not the only thing. They also had to be commissioned by Christ, as the Lord Jesus so does at the end of Mark's gospel, at the end of Matthew's gospel, in what we know to be the great commission, Those group of individuals, the apostles, would become a part of the establishment. We saw this last week as the church came under the apostolic teaching. For us, of course, it's the writing of the New Testament. But I want to walk you through the book of Acts in a number of texts just to note this for each of us that elder rule government is ordained of God, meaning In every text that we'll see, there are elders, plural, to a church, singular. And it's very important that we bear in mind what's taking place in Acts, right? Because Paul will go to somewhere between 10 or 11 synagogues. He'll preach the gospel in those areas, and God will save. And as he saves, a local body of believers will come out of it To which all those local body of believers became churches, and of course those churches were led by elders, plural. Let's note some of these things together. Look at chapter 11, verse 27. Now in these days, the prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. The gospel is beginning, of course, to spread and had spread to this point. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. And this took place in the days of Claudius, who, of course, was an emperor. But note this with me. This is the point of the text that we're going to use. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. Why? Because they were impoverished. Why? Because they were in need. And so Christians from Jerusalem were set out to help Christians in their need. And this need was material because, you know, many in the cases of Judea, they were starving. But notice this in verse 30. And they so did sending it to the elders plural by the hand of Barnabas and Saul turn to chapter 14 of acts chapter 14 chapter 14 verse 21 Paul's been stoned at Lystra uh, he's again has preached the gospel in a synagogue, God is converted, there's another new baby birth to a church. Notice this with me in verse 21. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, once again, that's the instruction from the Great Commission that God's called us to do. They returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders, plural, for them in every church, singular, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they have believed. Let's go to chapter 15. Chapter 15 is a very significant chapter in the book of Acts because we have the serious attack that is made upon the Gospels. Or upon the Gospel itself, I mean. And this meeting of the apostles and the elders, the leadership that God had provided for the church, was wrestling with what saves it is, is it the gospel uh, and the power of the gospel through Jesus plus circumcision? Or is it the gospel of Jesus alone? Now, we're not going to dip into the whole controversy of chapter 15, but I want you, again, you to notice this, this plurality of focus in verse 4. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church, singular, and the apostles and the elders, plural and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up, Is it necessary to circumcise them in order to keep them, to keep the law of Moses? This becomes the controversy. And so who is going to be the ones that will settle the issue? Well, of course, we know that's Christ himself, but he does this as the great shepherd to these under-shepherds that verse 6 tells us, the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. Once again, elders, plural, church, singular. Chapter 20 of Acts. Chapter 20. In Acts chapter 20, it's, we'll look at verse 17 and 18. It says, Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus, and he calls the elders, plural, of the church, singular, to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, and of course he speaks to them about his journeys and him, of course, on the precipice of death. Go to chapter 21 of Acts. One last one. Actually, two. I'm going to give you two more. Verse 17 of chapter 21, and now when they had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders, plural, were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. Now, please, one more time, turn with me to Philippians chapter 1 before we head back to our text. Philippians, the church at Philippi, is considered one one of the most developed churches in the New Testament. And the Apostle Paul, in his letter to the church at Philippi, notes that to us. We'll see this. In verse 1, Paul and Timothy, and the servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, notice this, with the overseers, plural, singular church, overseers, plural, and deacons, plural, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Pastor Alex will preach on the office of the deacons next week. Now, What's the point? Why read this many texts? I think it's it's clear that God has always desired a multiplicity of godly leaders to lead God's people. Elders, plural, church, singular. There's certain terminology that's given in the New Testament. That speak of that office. There are actually uh, like like five terms that are given, and given the context, you will always want to note this as you're reading the New Testament to see the terminology that God will use. And you'll see words like this: pastor, you'll see shepherd, you'll see elder, you'll see bishop, and you will see overseer. All of those are really important terms. And it's terminology that is to be used interchangeably. Differing names to identify various function. Let me give you a couple examples. The word elder really comes from the synagogue. Again, it's it's God's people at that time in God's place under God's blessing and rule. The synagogues were in local villages. To be called an elder meant this. It implied one had spiritual wisdom and maturity. Elders are to carry themselves and to have and possess a spiritual wisdom and maturity. And here's what spiritual wisdom is. It's taking the truth of God and skillfully living it out. No elder does this perfectly except for the great elder, the chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus. He, of course, did it perfectly. Yet this is to be true of all those who lead God's people. They're to possess a spiritual wisdom and maturity. There is a sobering nature. They take the matters of the things of God, the eternal things of God, and they take them serious. Because they are serious because they are weighty, because eternity's at stake. Now, that doesn't mean the guy can't have fun. The point is, he understands what is essential and what is important. So we get the term elder. From the word pastor, it comes from the Latin root word, which means shepherd. When the New Testament talks about pastor... It really is talking about being a shepherd. When we think of shepherds in the Bible, they are those who protect. They are those who nurture. They are those who give direction. The Lord Jesus, of course, is the chief shepherd. All those, those multiplicity of pastoral leaders are the under-shepherds. But the pastor... But the shepherd is driven within. There's a motivation that's given there that really comes from outside of them. It's been placed there as a compulsion of the Holy Spirit to protect, to nurture, to give direction. The word overseer also is synonymous with the term bishop. Overseer is the term that's used in our text. Go back to 1 Timothy chapter 3. If anyone aspires the office of overseer in verse 1, that's the translation in the uh, the ESV. You may have or reading from this morning a different translation. It could use something different. But overseer is really what's regarded here. It comes from the old English word, which is bishop. An overseer is to give spiritual oversight. They are to rule, as it were, not lord over, not autocratically rule, because we've already seen this. It is, it is servant leadership. But they are to rule and to preside over God's people according to the truth, not their own truth. And so each term emphasizes a different aspect of being an elder. And let me give you a couple more things. These are certainly true because we're not going to go through the entire 20 characteristics for time's sake this morning because we've gone through them much. But here's what an elder's heart should look like. This is what should drive every elder. Is a man who loves Jesus... A man who loves the gospel and a man who loves the church. If an elder doesn't love Jesus, love the gospel, and love the church with a genuine of, of passion for Christ, the church weakens. A lot of things in the life of a church can go wrong. And they do go wrong. There's not an example in the Bible, in all the New Testament and the seven churches in Revelation 2 or 3 of Asia, that there's not a struggle. Why? Because it's fallen men redeemed. Right? Thank God it's Jesus Himself who sustains the church. But the elder himself is to love Jesus, he's to love the gospel. He's the love of the church. If he's not that, what's he doing? Too many men become cold and indifferent, and when they do, the church suffers. The mist in the pulpit becomes the fog in the seats. People lack direction, people lack care, people lack protection. Elders are to love Jesus, to love the gospel, and to love the church. When you're looking at 1 Timothy chapter 3, D.A. Carson says this about this text of the 20 characteristics. What's remarkable about the qualifications of the criteria is they are unremarkable. What's essential, though, is who this person is. What's his character like? There is a sense when you're reading 1 Timothy chapter 3 that an elder is simply a faithful man who demonstrates what every Christian man should be. I want to be clear about that. So you can, might be sitting there even as a man and saying, you know, I really don't desire to be a pastor, so that doesn't qualify me to read these things. No, that's not true. Matter of fact, when Paul is teaching Timothy and Titus, he's saying, the men in the church that look like this, they are the men that are to lead God's people. Now, there's some distinguishing characteristics that make them different in the sense of the office itself. Let me move through them real quick. Number one, If any man aspires to the office of overseer, that aspiration, that calling into the ministry is a compulsion that is driven by the Holy Spirit and not selfish ambition. It's driven by the Holy Spirit. Why? Because God is calling a man to serve, to pastor To lead. Now, one can say, right, that they've been called of God, but if they don't meet the criteria, that disqualifies them from God. But the criteria is something like this. If each of these in a man were labels, were were like these grips, in the characteristics, if you got a hold of it with two hands and you shook one of these labels like lack self-control or respectable their lives fell apart that would obviously be a a glaring thing that one is one is really not called or disqualified to ministry but the first thing that drives an elder is that they have a holy spirit compulsion to become a pastor elder the only other two distinguishing characteristics are this look at verse six He must not be a recent convert. Think of the churches across, particularly our own country, where we get this ideology, if we set somebody in the pulpit who's popular, how many more people will he win to Jesus? As if God himself were impotent to save. God doesn't need help. God needs obeyed. And so he leaves for us a criteria that no church should put a recent comfort in. And I want us to understand this. This is first and foremost in care for the man. In care for the man. Lest he becomes puffed up with conceit and then his life is chewed up and spit out through the condemnation of the devil. A man should not become an elder who is a recent convert. God left that for us. The other characteristic that differs in terms of thus, who want to faithfully live out and demonstrate a Christian life is able to teach. It's found in verse 2. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. That's like an overarching umbrella. And he is, in that verse, the last phrase, able to teach. Every other aspect are simple qualities that all godly men should pursue. Able to teach means this. Elders are to know the word. They are to obey the word. And from knowing the word and obeying the word, they teach the word. They know the word, they obey the word, they teach the word. So it was in the life of Ezra to God's people in the Old Testament. So it was in the life of Nehemiah. Past that, I want to give you this practically what this text covers when you're looking Which really should be the aspirations of all of us who are just men in general. First and foremost, of course, as we've talked about, they're to to love the Lord Jesus. And they're to see see their lives lived out of that relationship that a man has with Christ. And the first clearest picture is what does his relationship with his wife look like? What you really have, what I'm going to describe here, are like these these concentric circles. If a man says he loves Jesus, look into the countenance of his wife. Is she a woman that is flourishing? Or is she a woman that is cowering? He doesn't respect her. He doesn't hold her in high regard. I'm not saying she has to be an extrovert. I'm just saying because she has a relationship with this man who loves Jesus, her life blooms. God says that that's the order of the requirement. He says the same thing in Titus. Then secondly, what does relationship look like in the home to children? He loves his wife Does he love his children or is he passing off discipline of his children only to his wife because he doesn't faithfully love his wife well or his children well? Men who love Jesus love their wives. Men who love Jesus and love their wives love their children and they will direct their children. If they don't do so, the practical example is given of, if a man won't love and lead his children in discipline, how in the world is he going to take care in a loving relationship to the people of God? Well, the answer to that, that's a really a rhetorical question. He won't. He won't do it. He's to love his wife, he's to love his children. He's to love the church. He's to love other believers. He should have a directional love that wants to protect, wants to nurture, wants to direct in a faithful God-given way. And then lastly on those circles, on the exterior, yet nonetheless it is important. He's to love those who are outside the family of God. Because it's to those people he's to take the gospel to. Because every one of us setting in here who are a part of God's glorious church, someone, typically, though, of course, a multiplicity of people, pointed us into the direction of Jesus. God alone saves, yet nonetheless, each of those people were instrumental. What's at stake? The strength of an elder board and the health of the church Depend on the church's obedience of this blueprint. This is why the writer of Hebrews says this Obey them that have the rule over them. Why? In that they're going to give an account before God. I'll be honest with you, just talking about this now, that is daunting. That is daunting. But here's the hope for every one of us. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is the savior of the body. No one loves the church like Jesus. And he will love them well. He'll love them, John 13:1, even to the end. Jesus is the true shepherd. All others are simply under-shepherds, which include the under-shepherds, of the seven elders that serve here, John ten eleven tells us that Jesus, as the true shepherd, he's the true shepherd because he goes and he finds the lost sheep. He saves them, he protects them, and he keeps them. Jesus is the true overseer because he oversees the bishop of our souls. Why does Jesus do so? Because we are bought by the blood of Jesus. Jesus is the true pastor who knows the word. He knows the word because he is the word and he gives his word to his under shepherds to preach. Church, we are never without Jesus. And so the task for each of us seven men can appear daunting. Or for those of you that aspire ministry, but man, we have Christ. And here's the promise of Christ. He tells us he's the great shepherd. He tells us he'll never leave us nor forsake us. And he told us to come and dine at this meal he has provided for us. Let's pray. Father, now as we transition our service to a close, we are thankful have experienced all your means of grace this morning. We're thankful for your word. We're thankful for the church and even these new members this morning as they have gone public with their faith in you. We pray, Lord, this morning, even in these next few moments, for the life that is tired And perhaps even hurting. That you will encourage and lift up their hearts. That Jesus, you have won the war. You suffered and died so that they could be forgiven. And then strengthen us with this Eucharist this morning. May we say thank you to you as we go out to live in the world that you've called us to. We pray for these things and we ask for these things in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Church, you may rise and go receive the elements.